0: Welcome to the Parker Avery Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. The goal of this series is to provide our listeners with two to three pragmatic pieces of advice in each episode that they can immediately go out and employ in their companies. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Ravery Group, we invite you to visit www.parkravery.com.
1: This is Trisha Gustin, Senior Director of Marketing for Parker Avery. In this podcast episode, we continue our focus on core retail functions. I am joined by senior managers Luann Villasor and Russ Smith, both of whom have deep experience in merchandise, financial planning, business processes, and system implementations across a wide variety of retailers. In this discussion, we focus on MFP challenges, innovations, and key capabilities. Well, good morning, Luann. Good morning, Russ. Thank you for joining me today. You ready to talk all things MFP? (laughs) Lots of knowledge here. Well, let's start off with a very basic question outlining what is Merchandise Financial Planning?
2: I guess when I think of Merchandise Financial Planning, I, I sort of think of it as a financial roadmap of your product strategy. And that strategy obviously is maximizing sales and margin, but you're also kind of optimizing that inventory piece as well. It also encompasses a pre-season and in season goal plan that you give to your planners by department and class.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think at a base level, it, it provides sales and profitability targets for a specific area of business. And a simple way to think of, of it, adding to Luann's comment, a simple way to think of it is it informs each buyer how much money they have to spend by product category for each market period or shopping trip.
1: And when when is the plan performed? When is it done? And then how long, how often is it updated?
3: So it's typically best if it's done. Ideally, it's done prior to each market trip or buying season. And then how often can it change varies. I think we'll get into that a little bit later in the conversation, but, but, you know, certainly large or significant changes in, in market strategy have to be addressed. But ideally... Those would be exceptions rather than the rule.
2: And, and two, I'd like to add on, I think it varies between retailers, you know, how far in advance it's done because MFP is usually the early part of the planning process because then that feeds your assortment planning or your other pieces of planning along the, the line. So for some, if they have a production period of over a year, you usually start that MFP process you know, a year plus ahead of that so you can get your orders in early eventually when you get to assortment planning. So it just varies. You know, some do it six months ahead, some do it over a year.
3: Yeah. And just to, Trisha, just to step back and add to what Luann said, I think she mentioned assortment planning. And a lot of times, a lot of times you'll hear people talk about financial planning in general, which would be merchandise financial planning assortment planning, and even item planning. But here, MFP refers to just that early on financial planning process that would feed the later processes of assortment planning and item planning.
1: Very much more top level dollars.
3: It's a financial plan. Level. Yes.
1: Okay. Who does it in an
3: organization? Uh, that can vary. It can be, the organization can be set up where they have uh, a planning role, or if it's a smaller organization, a lot of times planning and buying is combined. I think typically what we see now is that there is some level of a planning role.
2: Yeah. And typically I'll just tack on to that is, you know, there's this tops down, bottoms up, middle out kind of role, I believe that Russ is referring to. And a lot of times you have, you know, your VPs that do the tops down, your planners that do the bottoms up and kind of that director level that might do the middle out plan. Um, But all of those targets typically come from like a financial group within the company that you start with. So you start at a very high level, like top line targets, and then that, that gets pushed down to that MFP process.
1: Okay, so when you're talking about top down, bottom up, middle out, can we dig into those a little bit? Because if that that's all part of the plan, right? So the top down comes from the VP level.
2: Well, it typically comes from like a a financial group within the company. So you have like a top line sales and margin target or something like that. And then that will be pushed down to, you know, depends on how, how a company does it. They can choose to even start their bottoms up and tops down planning. The bottoms up could even start before they get their targets. From the top down.
1: Okay, so those because are independent at that point.
2: They can be. Some companies will take and do a tops down and push that down. That goes to the middle out. They'll push that down, you know, to a class level, and then, you know, the bottoms up will will start at that class level. It just depends on how a company wants to work. If they want to start at the same time, what the bottoms up planners can do is use historical trends and look at history to start coming up with their plan.
3: So I think the important thing to note there, Tricia, is that the top-down plan typically is at a higher hierarchy level of the company. So it wouldn't have all of the categories of business broken out. So, for example, what Luann is referring to is that you may, get a, you may get a top-down plan that aligns with a three-year or a long-range or a strategic plan that comes from finance that has input from the CEO, the CFO, and the chief merchant. Okay. So you you get that level of, of a longer range plan and it's broken down by season for the buying cycle. And then you move to that middle out plan where a level, for example, a VP level would break that longer range plan down, for their lower levels of category because the buyers ultimately are going to go buy at a category level or even at an you know even an assortment plan item level. So it's it's about taking the longer range plan and then breaking that down to the lower levels. And at the same time, to Luan's point, at the same time, you may have the buyer level building the bottom-up plan that says, Here, here's my strategy for my particular category of business. And for this season, here's here's what I can accomplish, here's what I want to grow, maintain, decline, those kind of decisions. And within that, the important part, the important part is that the organizations that do it successfully have defined reconciliation points throughout the process. Okay. So so as a coming up from the bottom level, you know, I may say, well, I can achieve my Top-down goal in this category because we've got a growth initiative in this other category. So I can achieve it over here, but I can't achieve it in this particular category. So I need to align those two strategies so that we reconcile.
1: How long? How long does it take? And I, I probably am shooting myself in the foot because I bet I bet the answer is depends.
3: <laughs> to some yeah. degree, it does. It does <laughs> depend. It depends on what product category you're you're planning. It depends on when your markets fall, those kind of decisions. I would say, I hate to put a timeline on it because it does depend, but I would say a good, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be at least, I would think, Luann, would you agree, six weeks to four months sometime in that window?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then how,
1: how often is it revisited? Should it, how often should it be revisited? Let's
2: put it that way. It does vary between retailers. I've seen it revisited six times. Within I've seen a year,
1: it, within a, within a season or within
2: a year, I mean. Before they even lock the plan, before they even say, Hey, this is baked. This is what we're going with. This is our original plan for the year. But then I've seen it done, you know, two or three times. You know, before it's locked. So, a lot of times retailers make the mistake of doing too many revisions. I don't think this is a perfect science. Planning is not for perfectionists. You know, (laughs) you're doing it so far in advance, things could change, trends could change, you know, disruptions like COVID could happen, all those types of things. And that disrupts that plan. But I also think that you need to realize that you cannot be perfect in planning. You know, that is not the goal. It's to it's using the history and the trends currently and the disruption signals and, you know, understanding what goals and where that strategy is going for that, that year. You know, all those things together, plus planning for shifts and holidays or promotions and things like that, all those things make up what those mfp plans should look like and so trying to pull all of those together make it perfect that's not what we're trying to do you know and i think that you know a lot of people try to spend too much time trying to make it perfect so then
1: once it's done once these revisions are done and it's as and it's as baked as it's going to get is it done for the year or then after that first time it's baked does it get revised so things like like you mentioned just like covid so the plans are done is it okay that's done for 2022 and we're done planning we're going to move on to 2023 at some point or is that do it will they take that plan that's that's baked it to that point and say okay now whatever disruption hit and we have to take a look back at it and change it does that happen throughout is it continuously evolving or is it done and done, and then you move on to the next year's plan. How does that work?
3: Well, I think Luann touched on it a little bit earlier with it's we're, we've talked primarily here, the idea of it's done. We've talked primarily here about a preseason plan, which okay. which is important to have a preseason plan that everybody everyone's aligned on the strategies, everyone's on the same page. You've got senior management buy-in that this, these are the goals we're going after, and here's how we're going to accomplish those. That's important for the buyers and the planners to take to market.
1: Okay, so that's preseason. Um,
3: for, that's preseason, but okay. then after after market, you would come back and you would potentially have a revision there. At, at minimum, you would have a revision there because you know, well, we had our preseason plan, but we got in market and we saw these opportunities. So you would have a revision and a reconciliation point after the first market. In a lot of cases, there's second markets by area. So you would have another round of revision and reconciliation after the second market. But then what we haven't talked a lot about is as you move into season, there's also an in-season aspect of MFP that a lot of people refer to as open to buy.
1: Okay. And, can I can I stop you right there? So sorry. up until markets are done, so markets are done for the season, we're still in in-season planning, right? Because we've done those revisions after we've seen the markets and what's available and we've made revisions. And then are you done within pre-season?
3: Pre-season. Yes. Pre-season. Yeah. Yes. pre-season. Okay.
1: And then you move into...
3: Well, as as you move into the season, then you would be in an in-season mode for open to buy. Okay. But but remember all of this timeline is overlapping so you're in one season you're buying preseason for you know a year out but you're in season right now potentially depending on the business category you're potentially in season could be for the same season you could be in spring of this year and buying for spring of next year
1: got it Uh, okay but those are different plans so you're in season correct okay
2: yeah. And I would just say, you know, typically that preseason plan is like an OP, an original plan that's, you know, that you, you have visibility to in the MFP system. And then once it gets in season, you have this current plan, what people often refer to, or RP, which is a revised plan that gets updated in that monthly open to buy in season so you're able to gauge like oh how well did i plan this before the season started mm-hmm. and then how well you know what what's happening when the season's trending so okay yeah so so that's how you look at those plans
3: and the and the in-season version is actualizing as you move through the season so you can see here the original plan or the revised plan was my target here's my target and as as you move through the season the in-season plan is typically actualizing so you're you're seeing a view of well if i continue forward like this either at this trend or if i make my plan for the remaining of the season however you look at that if you it, you have a view of how does it look like i'm going to perform versus my original plan
1: and that is based on actual sales within those categories is ideally feeding up to the MFP system in this, you know, if we're talking about systems. And so the, the planners are able to go in, see how they're doing and make adjustments in season as they need to.
2: Typically, we see it at a class level, I would say. I don't know, Russ, if you agree with that, but typically at a class level is where I see MFP plans being done, yeah. being Which changed. One?
3: Yeah, which would correspond to a category level typically. Okay. Depends on how the particular retailer has their categories, you know, to what level are their categories split? You know, you can you can say, well, we're just going to capture men's shirts as a category or you can say we're going to capture men's long sleeve shirts, we're going to capture men's short sleeve shirts, we're going to capture men's white shirts, men's blue shirts. So it depends on how their category Hierarchy is structured, but usually it's at that category level. It's not an. It's definitely not at an item level.
1: They're not the item people at no. this point. This no. is all. This is all that top level. They're not. They're not. They don't care that it's whatever Ralph Lauren or Under Armour or whatever. They're at the top level. We're just talking men's shirts. Right. 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 Okay.
3: It's easier for me to tell you what level it's not at than what level it is because there's so much variation between how retailers split their classes out. So.
1: But still, it's definitely not at the item level at that point. Right. They're right. just, and then they push that down to whoever is responsible for those item levels. And is that, and we get into assortment? Planning.
2: Yes, exactly. So okay. what happens is, you know, say it's at the class department category level for those MFP plans, that gets fed into the assortment planning. And then that's when that item level planning to life
1: okay and we're not going in there that's that's a no. different
2: podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's amanda and lee later on today maybe okay good so we're just talking dollars now and categories or classes at this point okay and then they make adjustments well we're talking dollars
2: margin and stock
1: i mean right.
3: Right. Yeah. Right. okay sales margin inventory
1: do they have any say over like pricing and promotions or anything like that? Or are they just saying here's what we want to happen, and then other other departments are responsible for the pricing and the promotions and and uh, markdowns?
3: I, I think that the it would it would typically still be it it would still typically be within the buyer planner role to decide those things, but those those specific decisions would be at a lower level. Now, they would plan overall markdowns, promotional markdowns, clearance markdowns. They would plan those, but and those pricings, promotions, the history would be inputs into that decision, but the specific planning of a specific price or promotion would be a lower level activity than
1: that. Okay.
2: Not here. Not here. Okay.
3: Do you agree with that, Luanne?
2: Yes, I do, you know, and just to tack on to that, you know, what happens is when you start that MFP planning process, you're not starting with a blank. You know, you're seeding with some historical figures. And so if you did promotions last year that you want to do again this year because they worked, that's already baked into that those t- historical sales. Does that make sense? So then yeah. yeah. So then, you know, if it happens to be around like an Easter or Christmas or, you know, Black Friday or something like that, and things shift, you know, like Easter will shift quite a bit, then you need to shift those sales when, and think about that when you're planning that next, that new year. So so a lot of that, you know, is baked in already to the sales. Okay. Um, but you also need to make some high level decisions. Wait, this promotion didn't work. So... Yes, we had a lift in sales, but we're not going to do that this year, you know? So, so those types of decisions at a high level, you know, that class department level are made.
1: How is it broken out? Like when I do my plan, is it monthly, weekly? How much detail is in the plan?
3: Typically what I've seen, it, it would either be at month level for a season or potentially weekly, down to week level. Okay. N- okay. Not below week
1: not below we Okay.
3: That would make sense. Okay.
1: Agreed. Okay. So let's move on to capabilities. What, what key capabilities are most important? And we're not just talking within a system, although that will drive a lot of things, but also just process wise, what, what's most
2: important to do this well? I, I probably separate it in a couple of categories. One, like the basic kind of things you need to have within an MFP system is is that tops down bottoms up planning you know I think that works well because you get the targets and then you're trying to hit a target by building it from the bottom up so so that's kind of basic that's typically in most mFP processes another thing I would also say has become more important is this scenario planning and as a result of covid a lot of this, Has come out a little more, but being able to do some what if scenarios are becoming more and more important in MFP planning these days. Also, having um, the ability to do a retail cost or hybrid method of accounting Mm -hmm. in the system, depending on how your company is built. And then also, predictive analytics are becoming more important in MFP planning as a result also of COVID and that disruption having some sort of forecast that provides visibility to actual trends and future demand across your channels and products, you know, so you can stay ahead and maximize inventory.
3: Yeah, I would just add to that. And I certainly agree with the with the ability to handle multiple accounting methods, the cost retail and the hybrid method. We're seeing more of that today. And then I would also add the ability to handle an omni-channel merchandising strategy. It's not. That's not an innovation anymore. That's a basic need now. And and when I say omni-channel, I'm talking about more than just brick and mortar and e com So there's also there's also ship from store strategies. There's uh, direct ship from from a vendor strategy. There's buy online pick up in store strategies. So it's. It truly is having an inventory pool that you have multiple distribution points from and being able to handle and and plan for that in an efficient way.
1: When you're planning, Russ, and you mentioned those different channels and different fulfillment methods, is there visibility to that at some level on the MFP is there, I I think I'm going to do this much ship from store, this much wholesale, let's say this much, is there that visibility in the plan or is it, is that, is it at a higher level than that? And people and, and planners are just using that intuitively or is it well, driven from historic, historical
3: It, it should sales? be, it should be some of both. It should be the capability to plan from an, an enterprise level, but then also either through reporting or, or through history coming into the system, being able to understand where that enterprise number came from. So that's more what I'm referring to.
1: And do MFP systems have that visibility or is that a integration to a different system?
3: It it varies. Some have it, some some do it better than others. And some, you know, some to some degree that is also the individual retailer's business process has to account for that. So it's not just a system conversation, it's also a business process conversation. How do we account for it? Where do we get the visibility? Is it within the system? Is it is it through reporting? It's those kind of it's those kind of decisions that retailers have made and and are now moving toward refining those decisions.
1: Okay. We we spoke a little bit about systems and a few weeks ago we did the core merchandising podcast with Marty and Heidi and those systems are all over the place. So everything from still green screens to Excel, to, you know, newer systems with MFP. Is it the same type of systems landscape where it's, it's a bunch of different systems, maybe some more sophisticated than others or are, are,
2: are retailers trending
1: towards more modern systems?
2: I think in the past it used to be kind of yeah, you know, that on premise system. So, like in house at a company, more and more, pretty much everyone is going to a cloud based system where they can access it from anywhere. And obviously, you know, a lot of people are working from home. So, that's also very easy for them to manage. And easy to log into, you know, so people are going more to that. Plus the scalability of a system, you know, as you, as a company grows, you want to make sure that that system can scale. So this is
1: no longer, this is not a bunch of spreadsheets being sent back and forth.
2: Correct. Okay. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some out there that are still doing that, but a lot of them are realizing um, that to have tops down, bottom up planning, to be able to do scenario planning, to be able to do omni-channel or predictive analytics, the, all those things, you, you need a system. Mm-hmm. Excel doesn't handle those very well.
1: <laughs> no, no. despite how much people try to wrestle with it. Okay, great. The retailers that do MFP well, from y'all's experience, what makes them good at it? And I know we can't mention names, but are there examples that you have that say, you know what, we saw this and they do A, B, and C and and it's fantastic.
3: To answer the question, I would move completely away from the system side of it and say from a, from a process side, they understand that actionable financial plans are important and they, they have a timeline around creating those financial plans reconciling those financial plans. Everyone's bought into the strategy and the plan going forward, and they have a timeline that supports having a level of plan in place prior to the buying cycle. Now, to Luann's earlier point, it won't be perfect. You'll, You'll make changes throughout the buying cycle. You'll make changes when you get in season, certainly. But everyone knows prior to going to market, what buy what the strategy is and how much they have to spend and what their expectations are as far as sales margin inventory goals so those to me that's part a and then part b would be that there is particularly in larger organizations that there is a there's a framework for teamwork between the buying and the planning they act as a team they act in you know they're they're aligned on the same goals they're evaluated on the same goals they're they're a team so that buying and planning work together
2: and i would just reinforce that you know you know the the retailers that do succeed you know collaborate with, with each other they you know you have the strategic goals those are set those are delivered you know to everyone and they set out to to meet those goals with a plan. So, you know, that collaboration and understanding that there's one strategy and everyone understands that and what metrics are important. You know, I think those companies that have laid down properly and communicate well, do well.
1: So it's less of a system capability and more organization and process as far as retailers excel at it. I agree with that. (laughs) On the flip side, then, what Common
2: mistakes or challenges do you guys see? I'm seeing, I'll just kind of come from it as the new challenges I'm seeing are retailers trying to maintain their customer base. Because, I mean, right now, a lot of stores through this whole COVID last two years, through all these phases, you know, a lot of stores closed. So they lost that footfall traffic and they needed to create an experience online to draw those customers to their website, when normally they would just go to the store.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, vice versa too, those people who already had that online presence, um, they did very well, you know, because they they already had things set up. So stores are now trying to figure out ways to adjust and make that experience online to store, store to online, very seamless. So for instance, making people feel comfortable to shop again. And then also having that omni-channel experience where if they can't find something in the store, the salesperson can be like, oh, we can just have that shipped to you, you know, or you can pick it up tomorrow or that sort of thing. Like having that seamless view of the inventory, having that experience where, you know, now I don't want to go in a store anymore. I'll shop online. You know, making that more exciting to the customer for that online experience, keeping it relevant, that sort of thing, I think is a big challenge for retailers.
1: And that all feeds into the planning, that demand shift has to feed into the planning. And so if they're not doing that well, Mm -hmm. then it's gonna screw up any view of demand. Is that kind of what you're saying?
2: Yes, what I'm trying to say is keeping that customer, because right now, You know, that experience before was kind of broken. Like if you went and shopped in a store, you weren't going online. So now people are trying to go online. And to Russ's point earlier, that buy online, pick up in store concept, you know, people wanted to be able to buy it. They didn't want to go into a store because store is closed, but they want to be able to pick it up. Right. So those sorts of things, retailers have been challenged To maintain their customers, to keep them, because if anyone else was doing it better, they would go there, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it
2: also opens up a whole new world to the whole landscape of shopping has changed, right? So, so now you you have access to more choices, more online sites, more um, you know product, and you now see where you could lose someone because hey. I'm allowed to order this. It arrives within two days and I can return it for free. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. I think trying to maintain their customer base is a big challenge. Yeah. For retailers. I,
3: think, I think probably Tricia, the, the biggest challenge I see from strictly a planning standpoint would be where organizations are, I'll call it, their, their, their planning is reactive. So, to luanne's earlier point they're they're trying to always have the perfect plan, and they lose sight to some degree of the planning the plans the preseason plans are a framework or a guideline for their buyers to go to market and and buy goods so if they're constantly changing those plans then it creates a workload on their planning and buying staffs that they're not looking at their in-season business. They're focused on constantly changing those plans, where in a lot of cases, there's, there's questionable benefit out of multiple plan changes. If you have the upfront strategy in place and everyone understands that strategy. Now, certainly there are times where major things happen like covid is the perfect example where you everyone needs to step back and say how soon can we address this where can we get in front of this but even that is typically that begins with an in-season change not a pre you know you, you start with an in-season change that flows into now you've got to move on to your preseason plans and and those changes flow into that but where i see organizations making multiple changes, trying to maintain the perfect plan, even after the buying cycle, it creates, I think, undue work for questionable results at that point. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. Right, right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay. Any other mistakes or challenges?
3: Well, the other thing that ties into that would be, I also see, the other thing I see is I mentioned earlier reconciliation, and so I I see a lot of times we see a lack of defined checkpoints along the process. So if you have defined reconciliation points and you're seeing how your lower level plans roll up comparing to your higher level targets, then it keeps everyone on the same page, moving in the same direction. You know, you don't have areas that get hung out there doing their own thing and then you don't have higher levels of the organization going, well, I didn't know about that, you know. So it's just those defined reconciliation points that are helpful throughout the process.
1: And that goes back to the collaboration play too. When you guys said that one of the most important things and what retailers you know, the retailers that excel at it are very much aligned with each other internally in the whole right. planning cycle. So those checkpoints that would make sense. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Let's talk a a little bit about innovations. Is there anything new on the MFP horizon that will make this easier for retailers, more streamlined? I know analytics, you touched on that a little bit. And, and, you know, us internally, Parker Avery internally has our demand platform that's building in some amazing algorithms and analytics that will feed the demand plan. What other innovations do you all see on
2: the horizon that will improve this capability? If, if we're talking about maybe some of this collaborative piece, I'm starting to see a lot of dashboards, you know, so, so, and when I speak to dashboards, it's sort of like, you know, you walk into your, the office and you turn on your computer and then there's, here's a summary of what just happened over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Like say it's a Monday morning. Here's where sales came in. Here's what the inventory is. You're looking at those pieces. So having something that immediately tells you, so you're not looking at every single class. You're looking at these are your top performers. These were your bottom performers, that sort of thing, that dashboard, however you design it is very important. And I'm seeing a lot of that becoming more important because you're all speaking the same language. You know, you're you're talking about what happened over the weekend on Monday mornings. You know, I'm starting to see that that's becoming a topic of discussion when you get in.
3: Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. And I think as part of that, that also flows back into the analytics piece, which by the way is huge. The analytics piece obviously is huge for the planning area because it's all financial based numbers based, but to to Luanne's point, the data mining piece to be able to generate that dashboard, you know, you don't have to come in anymore and run, oh, I've got these 20 reports I have to run so that I can get to an answer. You can come in and and your dashboard is already set up to give you that answer. So yeah, that's an
1: efficiency play for sure.
3: And it tied in with tied in with the the predictive analytics or the demand forecast, not only does it give you the answer of how you performed, it also gives you a view of how it's expecting you to perform going forward. So that's, that's, that's big. That used to take, you know, that used to take a lot of time running a lot of different reports to understand and then, and then having the the knowledge to understand what the reports were telling you. So that's, yeah, it's a big, that's a big part now of the innovation going forward.
1: We touched on, our own demand planning platform and there's lots of others out there we'd like to say we're the best but you know there's lots of other others out there that people are using how does that feed into mfp
3: typically if you're talking specifically about forecasting typically what i see and and Leanne, jump in here typically what i see is it's fed in as a sales forecast because okay. that's your that's your starting point for mfp your starting point for mfp would be you know, where am I going to plan my sales? Everything else fo- flows off of sales.
1: Okay. So that's a, it's mo- more a feed. Do do any MFP systems have those deep analytics built into them, or is it always a feed?
2: I mean, I've pretty much seen it as a feed, yeah. and you can choose whether or not to accept that forecast. Because again, when you're in season, you're seeing trends, It's it's basically taking that data You know, with all the causal factors that you put into it, depending on what that algorithm is, obviously, you know, I mean, to be able to look at that against what's actually happening, then you can make decisions on whether you like that forecast or not. Yeah. Yeah. So you see it line by line. And I think, too, you know, in the future, I think it's going to get to the point where maybe those analytics that forecast, like, say, if a big... Um, pandemic happens again. You still have that information from um, when it did happen, and you can use that to do some of that scenario modeling again. You know, so using that information, being able to have certain situations where you could go back to, hey, this is what happened last time. Maybe we should put that into the forecast. Yeah. Weather conditions. You know, I mean, COVID. There were unemployment rates. There's a lot of tough times that happened. So having some of those other factors and knowing how a customer reacts when something like that happens, all of a sudden they stop going to stores. Now stores had all this inventory, right? That they didn't know what to do with, you know? And building that into those plans and understanding how customers react to certain pandemics or or, or certain disruptions is also interesting to build back into a forecast if that ever occurs again.
1: Yeah, and I think that's talking to some of the, you know, we talk about the art and science of of merchandising and some of that, you know, we've got machine learning that's getting the the plans much closer to reality. So I think that plus the merchants just innate knowledge of, well, this happened during COVID. So I really think this is going to happen. There's always going to be a human touch involved in it. It's never going to be just handed over to, you know, the war games machine. We hope anyway, right? All right. Did we miss anything?
3: I don't think so
1: well this was very educational for me again i'm a store ops girl so you know the, the back of the house is i'm not as familiar with so i'm um, always happy to learn from you guys about what happens in the halls of retailers thank you for joining me and you guys have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon
3: thanks bye-bye
1: thank you That's a wrap for this episode. We hope you found the content valuable and useful. We would also appreciate it if you shared our Talk Retail to Me podcast with your retail colleagues. It's available across all podcast platforms. If you have any questions about today's content or any other retail challenges or innovations, please visit our website at parkeravery.com and be sure to follow us on LinkedIn for our latest industry insights and events. Just search for the Parker Avery Group. If you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, please use the contact form on our website to contact me directly. Thank you.